Hello and welcome to the Collective Wisdom Podcast, the podcast that explores how to be a wiser version of yourself. This is a podcast that helps you to tap into your own inner wisdom and find the answers within you for how to live your best life. I'm your host, Kat Preston. I'm a certified life coach and I help people to turn down the noise in their heads and tune into the wisdom in their hearts. Every week I'll be asking my guests to tell their stories about what they've learned along the way and share some of their wisdom with us. I'm so thrilled you can join us. Hey there, my wise friends, and welcome to episode 33 of the Collective Wisdom Podcast. I have a wonderful, wise and kind guest to share with you today, Jean Early, who, as you'll hear, amongst many other things, is an expert in NLP or neuro-linguistic programming. He talks a lot about gaining an understanding of our essential self and how this is the key to trusting our own intuition and really getting in tune with our truest motivations. This episode is named after the song he chose, Love Has a Name, which is such a beautiful sentiment in itself. But before I hand you over to Jean, I have some really exciting news about a book which has just been published by my friend Lon Wong. It's called Dear Stella and is written in the form of a series of letters to his eldest daughter, Stella. He's currently very busy working on the sequel as he has, he actually has two daughters. But this one is really the story of how a father learned that life is a work in progress and that the role of a parent is not to have it all figured out, but instead to love unconditionally and without judgment in the hope that his daughter will live a life of fulfillment and joy in the only way possible by knowing and remaining true to her deepest self. Lauren asked me to give some feedback before the book was published. And I wrote a review in which I said, you'll smile at the touching moments of distilled memories. You'll shed a tear at the shared experience of love and loss. But most of all, you'll wish this was a letter your father had written to you. I think you'll love it. And there's a link in the show notes if you want to buy a copy. But the best news of all is that Lon himself is going to be joining me here in a couple of weeks to talk about the process of writing and what he learned along the way. That is something to look forward to for sure. In the meantime, I do hope you enjoy spending time with my lovely friend Jean just as much as I did. I'm so pleased to be able to say that my guest this week is the leadership and organizational development coach, Jean Early. Jean describes himself as an entrepreneurial-minded innovator in leadership and organizational development and works as a strategic advisor to global leaders, entrepreneurs, and nonprofit leaders across the globe to develop organizational culture and magnify their impact, as well as being a devoted husband to his wife, Benedicta, and a proud father and grandfather. He co-founded Genomic Health, a Silicon Valley-based venture that developed the first genomic diagnostic test for breast cancer, and he's also the co-founder of the first Neuro-Linguistic Programming Institute for Europe. He's also an author of a whole host of publications on his various specialties and interests. I first met Gene back in 2016 in his capacity as a partner in Leaders Quest, an organization that leads experiential learning journeys for business leaders interested in integrating purpose, performance and sustainability. When we went on a fascinating trip that he led to Kenya. Jean's wholehearted compassion and love for people and what makes them tick made him an extraordinary facilitator. He brings his skill of being present, holding space and intuitive listening to everyone he meets. And it's truly remarkable being in that space with him. So Jean, welcome to the podcast and thank you so much for taking the time out because you're obviously a very, very busy man. So I'm so grateful to you for oh, joining thank me. You. Thank you so much, Kat. It's just so good to be back together again. You know, <laughs> Absolutely. Just reactivating that, that experience that we had uh, in Kenya. Yeah. Um, boy, it was Which so, was so powerful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I always kick off with this, this question of, you know, what is the question that you love to be asked? And your response was, what is it like to be married to your wife, Benedicta? So do tell us more. Well, I mean, I, I love the question um, because I've never been asked that question, but I have obviously done a lot of thinking about it. And so I thought, oh, what a great opportunity to actually talk about it. Yeah. Um, but I would say, you know, the first thing I'd say is it's, it has been an adventure. Um, she, is, uh, she is entrepreneurial 
and and is like you um very responsive to you know what's new mm-hmm. um i remember meeting her um she's danish and um oh, wow. I, yeah it was i want there's another story about that too which is not exactly about her but i had decided i wanted to live and work in europe um and nlp had taken me to europe and that's neuro-linguistic programming and um i was planning to move to holland when i met her and i was, I was how am i going to do this how am i going to mm-hmm. commute between holland and denmark uh, anyway i got hired by um a uh, danish consulting company to work with them to kind of generate their international business and uh uh, that was so wonderful because it meant I got to move to Copenhagen. <laughs> oh my goodness! And do you think subconsciously you made that happen? Um, was, was uh, yeah. That sort of, yeah, yeah. There's no question about that. There's wow. no question, no question about that. It was it was one of those energetic things you talk about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what sort of age were you when you met? Uh, that's a good question. I was thirty. I was thirty. Thirty-one when I met her. Wow. Yeah. I, lo- I love those stories about that instant connection with people and you just you just know it's just yeah. oh it was no question I, I love this story about how I'm how I decided to get married to her which was <laughs> good job she was on board with that <laughs> yeah oh yeah well she didn't have a choice really uh, no she her her boss um didn't speak English and so she was she kind of did a bunch of translating for him and so he sent her to a workshop I was doing in Copenhagen, this before I moved there, um, to a workshop I was doing there and um, just to improve her communication skills and whatnot for his business. And so she was there in this workshop and I was doing NLP. And, you know, one of the things is we, we typically would, would close with a story that would integrate um, the learning of the day. Yeah. Um, and so typically like that, people close their eyes and they go into the story. So here I'm telling a story, second day of the, of the workshop. And um, uh, I had I'd had some interaction with her, but I hadn't, I didn't really know her. Anything. But there she was sitting in the corner and um, I saw this kind of brilliant light around her and I couldn't take my eyes off of her. And so I just kept telling the story, you know, and the thing about it with the metaphor, you can create, you can keep generating more and more and more. So it was like, it was the longest metaphor I ever told in a workshop because I could not keep my eyes off of her. And- um, That's amazing. Yeah, and then I, then I said, um, we all as a group went out to dinner and uh, I thought that was great. Um, and then, of course, the next night was was the workshop was over. I said, hey, how'd you like to go out to dinner? <laughs> Just the two of us. <laughs> yeah. And so, and the, I mean, the, the wonderful news for me was um, I was staying with the organizer who was a friend. And it just meant I was going to stay a couple extra days. And so I guess what? I spent those days with her. Yeah. Um, and I told her, I said, listen, we're going to get married. I mean, wow. I, I just met her. I just matter. But, you know, there's another backstory to that, which is I just this was in December. In November, I had decided I had this kind of epiphany and I said, OK, I'm ready to get married. So I was looking for a wife God. and I'd been to two other countries and couldn't find anyone. <laughs> and I, I really think that is so deep seated in your intuition, because what came across, you know, I remember meeting you for the first time and we were sitting on a big, long table because the leader's quest was 20 people uh, in all, you know, the first night. And within five minutes of conversation, we had had a conversation that involved you saying, yeah, you can't love other people fully until you learn to love yourself. And that landed with me, just like, because I was, I was so fearful in, in, in environments that I, I'm not familiar with and wasn't sure that I should be there even. So all my fears were sort of really raised. I think you almost intuitively saw that, felt it. And then, you know, you turn to the person next to you and there was an equally deep and meaningful conversation going on over there within five minutes. And it was so powerful, but I think it's, it's that deep intuition that you have. You've obviously learned how to trust your instinct. I'm I'm amazed that I I consider it a gift. It's not something I, I have consciously, you know, pers- I mean, I pursued it, but I haven't, I, I don't take credit for it is what I would say. So right, right. It just but feels like it's there. 
it's a trust. I, I, I just get this impression that you've learned to move things maybe from your head a little bit, what you think about things and just what am I feeling in my mm -hmm. heart, in my gut, you know, what all the other signals, you know, I've heard it described that if you live only in your head, it's a bit like having a five bedroom house and only living in the attic. Yeah. And what yeah, it feels yeah. like to move that down and just start to listen to those other signals which yeah I, I would say that is a learn that that definitely has had a lot of learning involved in kind of moving from my head into my heart type yeah. type of thing yeah, yeah. and yeah. sort of those those emotions so that's a wonderful story and actually my question was then so moving did you move straight back to the states did you stay in europe that's um, quite a big shift to, yeah i moved back to the states that was in uh it took me Let's see. It took me a year to, to actually get to Copenhagen because I had to, I, I mean, I didn't do this. I don't think, I mean, it's kind of like, but um, I had the, my, um, my friends and colleagues um, who owned the consulting company, I had met them through NLP and they were not, they weren't, they were kind of basically trained, but they weren't NLPers in, de in depth and they wanted to integrate that into their consulting. And so we had this month long um, training that we did in California and they came to it. And at the end of that, they said, hey, you know, we want to expand. Would you consider moving wow. to Copenhagen? Wow. <laughs> and I'm going, oh, let me it's, think about that. <laughs> did I manifest this? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, so that was about a year and then it took us a while because one of the things I love about Benedicta is that she she has a very um, well-developed decision strategy. And so she was not opposed to me saying, we're going to get married. Um, I, you know, I, you'd have to ask her about that. But I mean, the, the attraction was there. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But her decision strategy is to say no until she can say yes. Wow. And wow. so we, you know, I was... I mean, I'd already decided, and so I was committed. And you know, she kept saying no, and I said, "Okay, I can wait." <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't actually know this about her, but I found I realized over yeah. time this was the way it was going. And what would and, it uh, take to move it to a yes? I guess that, yeah, that comes the next exactly, question. Exactly. Yeah. Keep addressing the addressing the no until you get a yes. But that's you know, interesting that that. I mean, I've heard you interviewed and, and one of the things that came out of it was this openness to saying yes and the oh, possibilities yeah. that that opens up in your life. So, Well, it's so interesting. On that note, I, I had not learned the depth of saying yes at that point. But I would say back to your point, the intuitive understanding of it was really important. Yeah. But one of the things I would say that, that Benedicta is that she has given me the opportunity to, to live out my values in a way that I think marriage in its best form really does is it marriage is a context for healing, right? And what it does is that you get attracted to that person who has the patterns that kind of complement your dysfunction, you know, and that either can go into more dysfunction or that can go into healing. And for both of us, we we're both kind of deeply, deeply committed to, to our own internal growth and healing. So so that was a that's a win. The this opportunity to live out my values. So my value was to say yes, but what I didn't know when I met her was that I had a very strongly embedded no inside of me. And it was I initially when I got in touch with it, I thought it was a no for my family, which in practice it was, but it's it I'd internalized it. And one of the things that Benedict really gave me was I, I remember it vividly. She kept challenging me and saying, you're saying no to me. I went, no, I'm not. I said, I've said yes from the beginning. You know, and, Read my lips. <laughs> I mean, you know, in my behavior, in my language. And what I didn't realize, but because she was really persistent in that, I didn't realize that it was a no to myself that then got projected onto her. And that was an energetic level. That was yeah. not behavioral. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I went, I am so grateful um, to that. And it has, it has really formed me um, in my work and my personal life, my friends, everything is that I say yes. And there's another aspect to that, which is the yes. And, you know, you may just, you know, I basically say yes to the person to start with. And maybe that's an extension, like an improv where you're, you're actually 
working off of each other and you you take whatever the other gives you and using improv you develop it into something else that's the yes going forward my yes and is when i disagree i say yes to the person i find the truth in what they're saying which is you know typically there's some truth in that yeah and the and is then my adjustment from my point of view to the conversation to the to the person and i give her all the credit for for holding me accountable to getting to that deeper place where I could say yes to myself. Yeah, that sort of whole idea of it feels more like a bridge or an extension of a hand than yeah. a barrier yeah. when That's you amazing. do that. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, I would love to dig, there's two things that came out of that for me. One is finding out more about NLP and this, this whole capacity it has for unlocking potential. But this feels like it's a this this whole yes and there was a fascinating conversation you had around seeing in other people if you can see it right. in other people then it is inside of you absolutely and it's that um you know you described it as the sort of carl jung the shadow side of yourself but the capacity to actually see that mm -hmm. opens up the possibility of having a conversation where you can't possibly judge somebody, you can't blame them because you know that it's coming from you if you see it in That's someone right. else. Yeah. That's exactly right. I, I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, it's the, uh, I, when I discovered that, I, I didn't realize there was a truth that was more universally known, um, but it has been probably, is one of the most transformational processes that I've discovered um, and I use all the time for myself. And, you know, one of those I talk about is that it, it started off as an idea and then I developed it into a skill. So I practiced it. I literally practiced it. Yeah. And now it's a way of being, you know, so it's like those three steps in the sequence. Um, and, it, you know, to do it, it takes practice. And it's, it's that openness to everybody has experience or people that you admire, for example. So, you know, so one of the persons that I, you know, kind of was my early reference was Nelson Mandela mm. and just go, you know, I just so admired um, his story of, of what he was able to do in prison. And as he came out of prison and the fact that he could forgive um, people who put him in prison, he could forgive his guards in prison. Um, that, that transformation uh, was, was so stunning. And so it was like, okay, how is that true of me? Where have I had that kind of experience with people who have, you know, deeply wounded me mm. and been able to forgive them? And out of that forgiveness actually transformed the circumstances. And I mean, once you, once you go there, you find so many people you can do that with. And it, what it does is it transforms your relationship with them. So I think that the most difficult personal internal work we have to do is with our own families. You yeah, know, it's like sure. if we can do it with our family, we can do it with anybody. Yeah. And so, you know, I use this with my mother who I just, I, I mean, she loved me for sure, but she had the kind of personality where she really had difficulty understanding who I was. Mm. And it was like my intense commitment over years to try and communicate that and just seemed to never work. And when I got this, I was actually able to identify with her style and, and go, oh, oh, okay, now that's me. Yeah. And I realized that that it wasn't her who didn't know me. It was me who didn't know me. And that transformed my relationship with her. I was like stunning. And the last seven years of her life was it was just incredible. It was magnificent. Yeah, it's almost like an extension of empathy instead of seeing it from mm -hmm. an, another person's perspective, seeing that. And then, and as you said, once you, once you are able to access that, yeah. the only option is to say, I can't judge it. Because uh, yeah, because then you're judging yourself. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's sort of, um, and that's essentially what Leader's Quest was all about, was that bringing people together and that quest for harmony, integration, right. understand, a deeper understanding of right. um, cultures. And I, I think that's what travel and particularly other cultures give us. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. if, if sure. we had that openness. But I also think that, you know, like in your work, the creating that safety where people can actually explore uh, themselves um, and doing that through interaction with others is that's profound. That's really yeah. profound. Yeah. And and how good we are at judging us. Actually, we do judge ourselves. Oh, yeah. And often that is what keeps us stuck or, you know, in that yeah. place of, yeah. of feeling dissatisfied. So um, NLP is something that I, you know, we, we were we were saying, you were saying I have experienced it because you used a lot of the sort of techniques and that form of coaching when we were in the Leaders Quest environment. Mm-hmm. But what I'm just really interested in, to, in, in what, took you into that in the first place and you know because it it was a relatively new thing when you you founded a an organization in in europe and yeah it was totally new i mean i was in i was you know bandler and grinder are the developers of nlp uh, richard right. bandler and john grinder um and they had a study group at the university of california santa cruz so that little study group was really the core of the origin but as, as Bailey and Grinder kind of grew in their understanding, they began to do um, workshops around the US. And I, as I mentioned in that, that podcast you were talking about, um, I had been doing um, training and transactional analysis as a, uh, my, my boss had said, I, we were, I was working with a communication consulting company and my boss had said, I think you need to learn some communication skills. <laughs> I do, yeah. <laughs> oh, you got good intuition, but come on, let's get, let's get some skill here, right? <laughs> so I'd done that. I'd done a three-year training, but it just was too it was too rigid for me, too too structured. I I still use it, and you know I really value what I learned from it. But I wanted something that had had a more for me anyway a more generative view. And a friend of mine in that program taught, showed me this book called The Structure of Magic. And as soon as she started talking about it, I went, that's for me. Wow. That's what I want I because want it is all about structure. And, I, you know, there are things you fall in love with. And I love structure. I still love, I mean, how many, it's decades now, and I still love structure. Wow. Um, and that's what NLP is all about. I mean, it's, it's defined as the structure of the study of the structure of subjective experience. Well, so that structure and its people and its relationships and its systems and its dynamics. And I was like, everything I love was embodied in it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, once I heard that, it was like that was the beginning of, a, of, of it all. And, of course, there were no training institutes at that point. This was just, you know, following Banner and Grinder around the U.S. and going to odd mm-hmm. workshops and stuff. And, and then Bandler's wife named Melissa Cameron Bandler um, kind of started what's called the Division of Training and Research. And that's when certification programs started. Um, so I was in the first practitioner and then the master and then the trainer and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that was the time when when they were, there were, I think, 10 training institutes in the US. I thought, oh, it's too, too, too busy, too many people here. You know, I want to go where there's nothing. So um, yeah. that was Europe. Nobody had gone to Europe at that point. New adventure. Oh, yeah. Sense of adventure. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. But what, what's, you know, what's coming up as a common theme is this, this sort of trust, intuition, magic. And it's almost, oh, yeah. you know, it, it feeds into that language of once you get your subconscious on board, you know, yes. it's, it's the belief system underneath. Yes. The, so, so I'm fascinated by the placebo effect, for example, but you really uh-huh. have to believe something's going to work. It's not, it's, yep not just thinking something's going to work and there's a yep. there's a there's a shift when you yep. you actually really believe it and Absolutely. then it's almost like your subconscious will prove you well, right and what i would say is is when you get to that place it's no longer a belief because for me a belief is what i call it an emotionalized generalization that requires energy to maintain once you get to that place it takes no energy Right. It's just, it is you. You don't have to create the evidence that supports your belief. Yeah. Yeah. And this powerful thing that once, once you believe that it, you don't, then it doesn't take energy or effort or struggle, no. No. you know, this state of flow that people just Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. That you can access from a place that it's hard to believe something when you have no evidence. There's a yep. there's an element of trust involved. There's an element uh-huh. of, uh-huh. or perhaps even just being thrown in at the deep end. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, one of the things I would say, just in terms of a little bit of NLP here, is that you are you have clearly embodied an understanding of the structure of belief. My encouragement to you would be go to the structure of identity, because mm-hmm. identity generates beliefs. Right. And so that's the next deeper level. And and when you're talking about the structure of identity, so for me that speaks to those core values that you don't even know where they came from, the things that... Those core values are the expression of that identity. Right. So identity, so I'm in a little bit of NLP here. So the way, I, the way I organize my world is that everyone has an essential self, which is not a... that It doesn't even have words for it. It's not a cognitive thing. It, mm. it simply is. It is your state of being. Who you are. Right. right. And... What we do is we construct our identity, our kind of lived identity with beliefs and presuppositions and and patterns, right? And, you know, what often happens and most often happens is that those beliefs are not always accurate. And and when you get into coaching, you realize, oh, you know, when you change a belief from something that's inaccurate to something that's accurate, you actually release a lot of energy and a lot of constriction that you have. But the thing about it is that 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 the way I see it anyway, essential self generates core identities, which are, you know, things that are often unconscious, you don't even know you act from, and they are expressed through values which have behavioral uh, expressions to them. But the, the process, another of these powerful processes like identification that we talked about is uh, the process of, of owning your identity. So and you can do that instantaneously, right? And it becomes, becomes the process basically is you, you find that identity uh, by looking at what matters to you. And so, for example, you talk about loving, you know, you say, well, I love. Well, that's that. I believe that love's important. And I express love, which is in a behavioral form. But most people don't go, I am love. Right. And so make the shift from, yeah, if you have the experience of loving or being loved, then you can immediately say, I am love. And so, of course, everybody has that. Right. And so but what they don't have is they don't have the understanding that you can make a being level decision in the moment. There's no incremental growth into it. You just do it. And what is it? I am love. Now, the the quality of that statement is your identity statement is not your identity right what you want to do is you want to generate that place that we were talking about where it's no longer a belief it's it is and is it is true i am love yeah yeah right and there's no question and so then when you behave in ways that are not loving you you immediately recognize it because you recognize the disconnect or the mismatch to your essential self and so the whole goal is to align yourself, align your conscious mind with your essential self, which is unconscious. Yes. So I love that, you know, that sort of the, the, the number of things that are happening behind the scenes that you're not really conscious of. And if you can allow that to, right. to just take over a little bit more and, and not, you know, those, those thoughts that are destructive yeah. often or just not not of great service or perhaps not even aligned with who you are. Exactly. Yeah. You get to the essence of when, you know, and what you're talking about, you know, which I agree with is, is that when we live from our essential self, we do live in flow. So flow is the manifestation of essential self. Yeah. And what I've heard from your stories is that you are accessing that, you know, this whole, it's that putting, putting an intention and a belief I can get to Europe. Like, you know, there's a conviction there that yeah. comes, you know, it suddenly doesn't seem like, Oh, it's not possible. It's not going to happen, which that's is beautiful. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that really is about, that's about the, the willingness to enter the unknown because, yeah. you know, historically that, that is, that characterizes my, my life is a willingness to enter the unknown. Yeah. Yeah. Which is part of this adventure. It is. It and is. I think, I think, you know, when I read at the beginning, you, you have achieved an awful lot in your life. And that has been in, in part, thanks to that, that acceptance of possibility, that belief structure. And, and looking for and really scanning for opportunity. 
I think is the other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and 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 seeing life as an adventure. So, did do you think that's something that you can cultivate, or is it something? Is that part of your essential self? Oh yeah, you can cultivate that. We all have it within us. Um, energetic presence can transform people without having to necessarily transact with them. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah. I I experienced that. I, I've experienced that with my mother, for example. That that whole story about about being able to identify with her, but then being able to be present because I was no longer judging her. I was able to be present with her and she, she let her defenses drop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, and I, I mean, I, you can credit that to her that she, she was able to do that. I'm, I'm deeply impressed with that. And there are other people that um, I interact with who haven't got to that place yet, but it's this whole thing we talked about, about holding space. I continue to hold that space energetically for that transformation of the person yeah. um, and maybe they will maybe they won't we'll see but that theory that energy attracts like energy and if you come into a room all enthusiastic and let's go out for the day and if you're all buoyed up about it it's very difficult for the person who puts the stoppers on it to remain in that place yeah if, if whereas you know if you walk into the room and and even in in that sort of anecdotal situation you walk into the room and it's like oh this is disaster doom gloom look it's raining you know that then's Oh, yeah. to, to just it totally changes everything pollute the atmosphere yeah absolutely and yeah. i think i think accessing those ways to shift your own energy when you're feeling oh why why is it i'm feeling really negative about this being able yeah. to do that is a, is a, another way of creating awareness that can then reverberate yeah. absolutely yeah, exactly. absolutely well and that's the that's the internal resources that you get by doing coaching you know yeah. being coached yes I'm i love that, i still have a coach I, yeah I've oh yeah. yeah 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 you know, it's like, come on, this stuff, <laughs> this stuff is too good. But also, because uh, I think I had an internal narrative that, you know, you have to get to a point where you're self-sufficient. You've had enough coaching now. You don't need to be coached. You, you're good enough at this. But there's always more. There's always yeah. more, you yeah. know. So yeah. if you want to go to the next level, then, yeah, you need someone to sort of guide you along that way. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I partner like to with you. That. Yeah, exactly. I, I call them fellow traveler. Yeah, yeah. So, and it's so much more fun going on a trip with a couple of people there than being always having to sort of strive and do it on your own. Exactly. For sure. For sure. Oh, exactly right. So, you told a beautiful story at the beginning of this podcast about Benedicta and how you met. And, you know, storytelling is foundational to, for me, it's all about stories and understanding where our motivations come from is often sourced in our stories. Yeah. Is why I ask you know, people to, to share stories, because I think it's right. just a great place to access those, those true emotions. So when I asked you about an act of simple kindness, what came up for you, Jean? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I have one the thing that came up tonight. I have, I have some friends who live in Norway. And um, <laughs> they are, they are the epitome of hospitality. Um, and I'm thinking of one particular visit I had where um, we'd been in we'd been in Copenhagen, and I just said, "Okay, I'm I'm going to take a side joint and come over to to Oslo, right?" And it was like, you know, we talk about energy. I walked into the space of their their house, uh, and I I call it hospitality. It's just all the things of love and care and and quality of attention and and. Um, I particularly remember a conversation um, I had, you know, his name is Kai and her name's Ronbe. Um, I was having a conversation with, with them and it was like, it was like the epitome of, of vacation time. It wasn't vacation, but it was vacation time. It was like, you're relaxed. You're just hanging a glass of wine. You just you're having those kind of friend conversations that you just, yeah. you kind of, you kind of lose a sense of time. Anyway, we were talking about um, his sons, and they have two boys who now are, you know, they're now 30, 35 years old, something like that. Um, and they were the two wildest. I, I'd known, I've known them for years now. I've, I've probably known them 30 years. So I'd known the boys when they were young, mm. and I knew them as they became teenagers. They were the wildest teenagers I have ever known. I mean... I just, I, I just kind of stood in amazement, you know, for example, Kai would, 
you know, they would they would go out and get drunk. And there was one time one of his sons was mm-hmm. drunk. He was lying on the roadside in the snow, and he had enough consciousness to call his dad and say, hey, dad, you know, can you come pick me up? I'm going to freeze to death. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, you know, Kai was there, no judgment whatsoever. And what what we, we were telling stories like that of, of those kinds of things. And and I was just getting the same time about this intuitive thing. I was getting the sense of why these boys are so incredible today is that that they were loved for who they were. Wow. And that is what I was getting. The, I mean, Kai and Rondé are the most amazing parents. God. They have a relationship with these boys. And, you know, when they had started having girlfriends, their girlfriends would come over and they would want to spend time with the, with the boy, with their boyfriend's parents, you wow. know, because they said, you know, my house didn't like this. Yeah. yeah and yeah. that was, it was like, that was just that, that particular time, but just three days. But it was so nourishing and it was, and it's just, they have such a heart and they're very, I mean, Kai is very strong and he's got very strong opinions and Rambay is very gentle. He's got very compassionate opinions, but, <laughs> but they're underneath it all. You talk about what's behind it all is this mm. deep sense of love that is not conscious in a way. Mm. It's not like they're attempting to love you. It's like you're, you're just being wrapped in this environment. And uh, which is just, I think, you know, it's, it's just so life-giving. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, I don't know whether that's, I mean, that wasn't like an act of kindness. That was more like a situation of kindness. Well, no, but it is the ultimate act of kindness, I think, to see somebody for who they really are. Oh. And, you know, it, it speaks to me as a parent because <laughs> it, you're constantly, I find myself constantly questioning because there are three individual people in, you know, and you can't parent them in the same way and how they respond to things. And you try and show up as the parent, but their response to that, you know, and just having to, yeah, take a step back sometimes and and even understand that maybe in this moment, you're not the best person to even be the parent um, because you're too emotionally involved um, and the judgments are all there and they're not serving anybody really, you know, it's, that is a beautiful story because I think it's something that comes up and you would instinctively, you know, it went to my place for me of, um, gosh, what if it didn't work out? You know, if they'd been wild and, and, and the theory is that, well, maybe if they'd been reined in a little bit more, if the boundaries had been set, maybe they would have been, you know, less, uh, things wouldn't have happened as adults that were so disastrous if, if it hadn't worked out. So it's kind of, again, it but also up. it's that, it's that thing about, um, in a way, we've talked a little bit about trusting the system. So in this case, yeah. trusting yourself as a parent, that if we hold space, I mean, this is my interpretation now. Yeah, if we yeah, hold yeah. space with that with that intention of love, they will come through, which yeah. is what's happened. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And interesting being an observer of that, being, you know, knowing right. people for long enough that you can see a story play out, which is... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I, they're such an inspiration to me and to, to my parenting. It's like, okay, I, you know, and that's where the worst identification comes in, right? Because I, I, I see the way they, they love their boys, even today, um, you know, and now they're grandparents. Um, and it's like, okay, that's, you know, it's this thing about what's possible. That's possible for them. Therefore, it's yeah. possible for me. Yes. And it has, it has inspired some of the changes in my relationship uh, with our son. So, yeah. 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 And, and I, I, do you think that that's a cultural thing? Because, I mean, you know, no. even being in Europe, we have a sort of the Scandinavian school system feels like it's different. You know, the Scandinavian... Oh. Um, prison system is much more based around rehabilitation than punishment. It's a very cultural difference. I think there's a strong cultural component to it, but also there, I mean, one of the things I experienced in Scandinavia living there for a number of years was there's a very critical um, uh, side to Scandinavians. Like there's a right way to do it. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, I'm part of it is Kai's Faroese, so he's not exactly Norway. I mean, okay, okay. So he's lived in Norway for years, and but even then, I mean, they have done they've done their internal work, right? 
they have I feel like have, yeah he's being true to himself as a parent yes. that's the thing and then he's seeing that truth yeah, right. in, in his children which is exactly that's fascinating exactly. story yeah amazing amazing and so my second story is always about a challenge because as I was explaining to you it's about understanding when we come up close to failure and how because I think society perceives failure as you know we've just had the European football finals yeah. and we I know you guys beat Denmark yeah <laughs> yeah, so I'm so there was sorry though that you lost Italy. I but mean, you know, yeah. it's like this this winning, losing, failing, succeeding. Um, for me, I would love to see that as a step on their journey to perhaps the World Cup and how they'll be so much more hungry next year yeah. because yeah. they didn't make this. It was heartbreaking to watch, but oh, but yeah, that was obviously their challenge. And um, I can imagine there's a lot of conversations going on in the dressing room today or you know, yesterday that were like pretty desperate. But what comes up for you as a challenge, Gene? Well, like I said, it's, it, it, it immediately came to mind was my challenge was that my dad died when I was 12. Yeah, I know. And, uh, you know, I, one of the things that I've concluded out of that experience is that that traumatic experiences like that are, are really keys to leadership. Wow. Um, not everyone um, who has a trauma becomes a leader, for mm -hmm. sure. And not every leader actually has trauma, but the great majority of great leaders do. Um, and of course, you don't know that when you're 12 and, and your world turns totally dark. And, you know, for me, it was it was it became an emotional black hole. I just I just shut down. I remember, you know, um, I was in I was in the uh, seventh grade at the time and I was I was in a class. Uh, learning to ballroom dance with the girls' school next to my my elementary school or not my junior high school, um, and I decided I can't go back because I don't know who I am. Who am I now? Because I don't have a dad. Yeah. Oh. Um, and it was that journey, that challenge journey, was a, a thirty five years before I got out of that black hole. And it also was, I would say, you know, it was a motivation. I think you have to make a choice at that point. And even, even though my world just turned upside down, I chose to live, not to die, you know, and, and that live is metaphoric. I don't mean suicide, but I mean, okay. I'm, I'm going to find my way out of this hole um, or black hole, actually, um, which I did. Um, and at that point, I then I, it then was like progressively getting better and better and better. It was no longer remedial. It was actually generative. Um, but that, and there are many, many stories that go with that, but the, the kind of the next phase of that was in my coaching work, uh, with my coach, um, a, a very, very striking, um, experience. I had, I had what I call a mystical experience where, um, the last time I met my dad was in the hospital, um, the night before he died and I was in the hospital. And that was, that's a memory that has just kind of been fixed for me. Um, and it's changed, the meaning of it has changed as a result of this experience I had. But um, we, in, the, in this kind of vision, we were in the hospital room. He was standing up. He was no longer in bed. He was standing up. And we were communicating without words. I knew exactly what he was thinking. He knew exactly what I was thinking. Um, and there was so much revelation in it, one of, one of which was I, for the first time, understood his grief of not being able to see his kids grow up, of not being able to live with his wife. I mean, he and my mother were, had just, uh, they had a really beautiful relationship. And it's very, I mean, it's, it's shaped me as well. I mean, that in terms of my marriage, um, the, the foundational way in which they loved each other has shaped how I love Benedicta. There's no question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I understood for the first time his grief, and what that did was that released a measure. I still had some anger left in me that he had died, yeah. and suddenly I had so much compassion for his loss. It wasn't just my loss anymore; it was his loss. Yeah. But the most powerful aspect of that was he he had a a scroll in his hand, and he said to me, um, or communicated to me, didn't verbalize it, but. He, I got the message, you know, this is what I was here for. And I, I am now able to fulfill 
my role in your life. And he handed me the scroll and I said, what, you know, effectively, what is the scroll? And he said, this is, um, <laughs> I forget the word, but it was like, this is your, um, uh, this is your uh, graduation, your certification for manhood. I'm giving you um, the um, kind of the keys to manhood. Yeah. Uh, which he was not able to give in the in his physical life because he died at age 12. And and that whole teenage year, which I struggled in, in the black hole to to deal with was a very significant um, loss um, of the modeling of what does it mean to be a man. And so all that all that effort that I invested in many years was, you know, getting to that place where I could actually receive what he had to give me yeah. and so it was a very profound moment for me and it kind of marked to me you know you know it's one of the markers for being an adult um for me and it took many years to get there but it was totally worth worth the trip i mean i have to say you know yeah yeah it's such a you know it's it's such a tragic thing when when someone is just taken away like that and it's so sudden and as you say it almost affected your your very core you know your oh yeah identity. oh yeah just, yeah there's no question and then having to watch the people around you also suffer because it you know yeah. it never happens in isolation it's, no. it's you're suffering other people suffering and and it's this idea of that pain taking that pain and transcending it making the choice that i i yeah. can choose to suffer with it or i can choose to take it with me as an experience and move forward. But that's, you know, that can take, that is the healing, isn't it? It's, it is. uh, it's the moment where, yeah. And I think, you know, I think it is the, is also a decision moment that, that I'm on a healing journey. Mm. You know, from that moment, I, I wouldn't say before then there was any awareness of a healing journey at all, but from that moment I was on a healing journey and I continue on it to today. But I think it's it's that experience and it's it's the tragedy is that it had to be such a traumatic experience, but it's that that gives you that capacity to hold presence for others, yeah. you know, to see inside other people. No question. Yeah. I remember in high school, um, I was a basketball player and um, there was a really talented um uh, player on one of the other high school teams who I loved to watch. I mean, he was just, he was super player. Um, when I was in college, he died. And uh, I was able to reach out to his parents. Yeah. And, you know, the experience of having lost my dad and then just being able to translate that into losing him, that they lost him. Mm -hmm. um, I was really able to reach out and, and just really be a blessing to them to, to acknowledge who their son was and mm. the impact it had in my life as a basketball player, as a person, even though I didn't know him personally, I, I had just watched him. Mm. Um, and I think that was that, I mean, you know, that's only a little bit of their healing journey, but it was, it was part of their healing journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I remember you told a beautiful story about, you know, as you were training to be a coach, you had to, do some therapy sessions and hold those spaces for people, even though you weren't a trained therapist. Oh, yeah, right. And, <laughs> and just, it was such a remarkable story of how, you know, you were holding a space without ever knowing that it was having such a right. huge impact to the, the lady in particular. And, yeah. and I'm sure, especially because, you know, you were so young at the time, so we don't associate that complete, wisdom and understanding and you know those life experiences are are at the basis of that yeah that's right yeah i think my father's death was clearly influential in in that that i would just say you know what i could bring to her was compassion yeah. for you know and that compassion came out of the the pain of really the pain of of my journey out of the black hole i was still in the black hole at the time and so there was actually there was some identification with, yeah. with her pain, um, as well as um, with the compassion that I, 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 had, I had grown compassion by that time. But in terms of skill, nah, not so much. Well, no, but I, I would say 
when you're in that deepest place of of despair just being seen and yes. getting that understanding you know yes. sometimes it is just to sit and not have to be answering questions it's just to sit in a space that feels safe yeah. and i can yeah it's a yeah. slow process so it's it's yeah. But I think it comes, you know, it's it's that understanding that you bring to the table, and right. and interesting that you use that word compassion, and that's when I think of Jean Early, that's the word that that comes up, you know, it's it's so associated with your heart. Mm. Yeah, it's really true, you know, and uh, you know the it's so interesting that part of my interest in you know I, part of my career has been as a consultant. Um, doing organizational development stuff, culture work and stuff. And the one of the ways I thought about that is, is that the, the journey to bring healing in myself, but in my family has been manifested in the projection into working in organizations. Yeah. And I, something that I'm very familiar with, I've said before is, is each, each kind of major organizational um, period of my life where I was working with key organizations, They've got the the organization has become healthier that I work with, not because of me, because when I made the transition, it's like I was able to move to a healthier organization. And I've kind of tracked that as, oh, it's my healing that allows me now to work in a different type of organization, yeah. one that is more healed, that's, that's healthier for the people in it. And even to, to create genomic health was like this amazing, like creating a family. I mean, I would never have said that then, but, you know, it's like, <laughs> But it's you a know, it's it's a real skill to be able to bring people together and to to sort of enmesh strengths and and again it I think it comes from creating an awareness of, of yeah. what's possible um, understanding that it's beautiful. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So how how musical are you, Jean? How much of a part does music play in your life? So there are a couple of answers to that question. One question, one answer is. You know, I would say in my essential self, I am very definitely musical. Everything about music is just resonates deep in me. And there's a part of me that goes, you know, an aspiration that I have not pursued would be to be a jazz piano player. Oh, wow. Um, at the unconscious level, I'm very, I would say I'm very musical. Um, in the practical, I'm not. I played the trumpet for two years in elementary school and uh, that was painful. Um, and and as an appreciator of music, do you, do you spend a lot of time listening to music? I do listen to music. Um, I'm pretty, it's not a primary thing I do, but I do listen. I mean, obviously, um, I think all of us have different kinds of music that we like. And, yeah. you know, and that, I think especially the, you know, because you've, you've had so much experience of so many different cultures, therefore, different types of music you know oh yeah oh yeah i really love south african music by the way yeah um, yeah. yeah it's just uh, yeah and I, I mean i and one of the things interesting i love different types of music because it's it's like different cultures right mm. yeah, yeah. I, I, I think for me again it's about this um building bridges music is a great way to because it it is language without spoken word often um it it gets straight to an emotion Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, if you had to choose one piece of music that has real meaning for you, what what would it be? It would be there's a there's just amazing woman named Kim Walker Smith, um, and one of her one of her pieces is called "Love Has a Name." Oh, so it is. She is, and part of it has to do with her personal story. I mean, she is so she gets so lost in the music. Um, and is so passionate, and it is a it's a um, Christian worship song. I mean, I'm a Christian, and and I find that it's very nourishing to my soul to be able to yeah. to see the passion that she has and the the lived experience that she has of God being manifest in a song yeah. um, is just awe inspiring. So yeah. Uh, well, I'm I'm not sure because it's. Um... It's a piece of music that may not necessarily be on Spotify. That's that's a first for me. I, I will try and find it, but you can um, find it on YouTube. Oh, so, yeah. So so it may well be there. It would be fascinating to hear it. But it's for me, it's such an apt name of a song for you. 
Right. <laughs> it's kind of it's like a badge that you might wear. Um, oh, right, right. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Well, yeah, I, yeah. yeah. So is there is there a moment in time that you remember hearing it when you, when you first heard it or? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, she, um, so she is uh, part of a group called Jesus Culture, and they came out of a church in Redding, California, called Bethel Church. Mm. And Bethel Church is an amazing, amazing community because they have a vision for the city. And so they don't they don't treat themselves as as the people who meet in the in the sanctuary. They treat the city as their church. Wow. And they you know, they had these big fires there. This is a little bit of a sidebar, but they had these big fires um, that just destroyed, you know, hundreds of homes and you know, acres of wild, wildlife and and whatever and they were they were like the one of the and i think if not the most um uh involved communities to help the city recover i mean they were they had food banks and they were helping people who were you know it was just like and it was just the most natural thing in the world to them because they do it all the time Real i mean good. they are there to serve the city and and so we had we have spent time at Bethel, and the first time that I heard Kim Walker Smith it was just like I, I don't know, you know how you get these tingles, in, you know, where is that coming from? Yeah, yeah. You know, and and um, so what I did was I went and and looked her 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 story on YouTube, and you know she had an encounter with God that that also gave me tingles. Uh, it's like. And it's so authentic. The thing is that that the way in which she tells that story of, of her encounter and how it has manifested, we're talking about origin stories, how it has manifested in the ongoing pursuit of her life, which then has this, you know, the fruit of which is this song, among many others, um, is just, it's just, you know, again, it's, it's something where I say, if she can have that, then I can have it. Now I've got to find out how to do it, but... <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had it yet in that way by any means, but it's it, it it's what you're talking about possibility. You know, when someone else has that possibility, you know, you can have it. And, and maybe the the key is accessing it through the music. You yeah, know, when you're listening yeah. to the music, you're sort of getting close to accessing that point. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Yeah, you know, because it's it's clear that she, you know, when she's singing, she's in that space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she is definitely in that space. So yeah, it's um, and, and, you know, and I think it's true. I think it's true about all music that music doesn't exist by itself. It exists in a culture of its own, and it bring. And we're talking about energy. It brings the energy of its culture. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Oh, so totally, totally. Yeah. yeah. And there's always a story. That's the other thing for me. That's why it's so fascinating. And yeah. I've ended up becoming a bit of a collector of music because Spotify allows me to build a playlist. So each. Yeah song goes into that and for me now there's an association with a person and their story and but what's come across is how eclectic that that yeah. mix is you know I, I I hadn't really anticipated that but it's introduced you know, me. you know just to say you are your Spotify list <laughs> exactly I think that's so true but it's um, I hadn't I hadn't thought about that but I think that's why I love it so much. I can yeah. I can go out for a run, and especially if you put it on shuffle, a different song that doesn't necessarily resonate with me as oh I love this music. I right. love that it's Beethoven's Pastoral Symphony, and I'm straight there with my dad, and because right. he's told me the story of why it means so much to him. Or and it's that yeah that real mix of cultures and different. That's how rich it is! That yeah. is absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. How rich. That's become one of the the sort of un, unforeseen benefits of, of hosting the podcast. It's definitely oh yeah, you're getting more music, right? Yeah, exactly. And just just um, <laughs> well, it just takes you out of your little box that you know. And I think that's a great place to be, where you sort of try different things and you yeah experiment. And then you may get so this will Kim Walker Smith is somebody I've never heard of, but uh, it'll be interesting to look into her story and um, yeah. and hear the music. And I'm always fascinated. Because nine times out of ten now, it's not a piece of music that I know, you know. Right. But well, I mean, it's one of the great things about Spotify as well. You know, yeah, it, yeah. it offers you music like, you wouldn't you wouldn't find otherwise. Open up this world, yeah. yeah. So no, I love that story, and thank you so much. But I, yeah, the 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 fact that it's called Love Has a Name is also going to be 
all part of it. So that's brilliant. So as you know, this is called the Collective Wisdom Podcast. um, And for me, wisdom comes through those stories. Those stories you've already shared have brought your wisdom. But is there one piece of wisdom that you would say has been instrumental in your life that you always keep with you? Yeah. I mean, what, what's coming to mind is, is, you know, if I'm, I'm thinking like for listeners, yeah. right. Yeah. That, and also just qualified a bit, you know, there's a, there's a way in which you can say something that is, is heard at the level of the words and the concept and the head. So we talk about head and heart, yeah. like a head thing. That same thing can be said, but when it's heard from the heart, it has a totally different meaning to it. And so I'm aware that what I'm thinking is can be taken at either of those levels. And if it's taken at the, at the, the head level, it's irrelevant. If it's taken at the heart level, it's totally relevant and transformational. And that is that, that um, I think that, you know, for me, that each one of us is created for a purpose. We have a unique purpose. And if we don't fulfill that purpose, then it then it doesn't get fulfilled and so our challenge is to find our place if you will in the universe to fulfill our purpose for the whole and that who we are and how we show up has ripple effects that we never see and so when we when we are pursuing that that sense of what is our purpose and how do we live it we are creating those ripples and we get, we get to choose what kind of ripples we create. And so by pursuing our true purpose, our essential self-purpose, and living that, we actually make the world a better place. And we, it doesn't have to be some big, you know, ostentatious thing. It's just showing up as who we are and fitting our piece into this larger puzzle of humanity. You know, and the concept, it's like this story that, that I told about, you know, my client who, who, came back and said, you saved my life because I would have committed suicide. And she didn't. And you had no idea. I didn't know it. I did not know it. But I would say I was living my purpose in terms of pursuit of that wholeness that I knew was possible. I knew wholeness. I don't know how I knew it, but I knew wholeness was possible. Mm -hmm. And so living that for the moment with her was sufficient. And I think that's true for all of us. We don't know whose life we're going to save. Yeah. by being who we are, but we will save lives by being who we are. And that, that simply being present yeah. is, is That's right. sometimes enough. Yeah. And, and you can almost interchange purpose with contribution. You know, yeah. if you're, if you're thinking outwardly and, and moving it from your heart to somewhere else and putting, yeah, that piece in the puzzle is beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So finding your gifts, finding your purpose and then sharing yeah. it with the world. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Stunning. Stunning. Oh, well, Jean, it's been an absolute pleasure to have this oh, conversation. I am Thank you so much for inviting me. It's beyond thrilled to be able to share it with the world. And yeah, yeah and so excited that you're you're part of this collective because for me, you know, as it builds, it's a place that people can access and I deliberately haven't really um it, each each episode is a name and then a piece of wisdom. So it it's designed to be a slightly intuitive in itself, which one do you pick, you know, and you may learn something that you didn't know. And it, it, oh, without question, I mean, yeah. just from the ones I've heard, yeah, it's, it's an amazing niche that you've found. And it is something I think we really need because I think we need wisdom mm-hmm. and to be able to bring together community people who share their wisdom. And, and, you know, just to back to you, I mean, you have such a, generous style of interacting and it just what it does is it draws things out and i I think that's in a way that's the epitome of of a really good podcast um and so it's creating creating a really large space of interaction for people who are seeking wisdom and know it when they see it they hear it yeah well that's very kind of you it comes from a place of yeah deep curiosity just understanding more um, acknowledging what you hear and validating that everybody has a point of view. You can learn something from everyone if you yeah. just take a little bit of time to really listen. Yeah. Yeah. I, one, one thing I'm just reminded of uh, in, in part of this collective work I'm doing, 
there's a woman named uh, Taya Sepinuk, who is the founder of a thing called Theater of Witness. And basically what she does is she bridges divides of difference. So one example, she was in Northern Ireland and um, doing her work. It's theatre. It's, it's, um, it's a form of perform theatre where she brings together, for example, the RRA with, you know, um, the others and, you know, these kind of really difficult, difficult, um, painful situations. But one of the things she talks about, you were talking about curiosity. She says that that curiosity is what starts it for her, but but where it goes to is communion. And I think that also characterizes my experience of you is that you may start with curiosity, but my experience of this podcast is it has been communion with you and with the wisdom that we are collectively sharing. So there's this larger energetic space that you've created where communion happens. Absolutely. And and ultimately, that is the idea is that, you know, if you're building any community, it's about how can we collectively contribute? You know, if you if you espouse this sense of understanding that we can learn something from everyone, that we can move away from judgment, where right. does that take us, you know, in terms of right. the community? Yeah. 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 So very kind of you to see that. Um, so anyone who's interested in this and wants to track you down and find out more about Leaders Quest or any of the the, the the enterprises that you're involved with, um, where's the best place to do that? Well, you can always go to, I mean, Leaders Quest, you can go to leadersquest.org.org. Put that in the um, You can go to my LinkedIn, it was probably the best place. I've got a number of articles there on LinkedIn. Um, and if people want to pursue it further, they can always email me at gene.early at gmail.com. I, I love the contact. You know, it's kind of like listening to different forms of music. You know, you never know where this is going to come from. No, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's so nice when people do reach out and respond and say, oh, I heard this. I was listening to you. Exactly. And yeah, it's already gone. My brother-in-law reached out. We had a writing coach uh, and he's a writer. So he reached out to her. She comes straight back to me and goes, oh, I just heard from you. You know, that's so nice. And that is you know, when you go and buy someone's work or, yeah, it's, it's, it all comes right. full circle in the end. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, I would just like to thank you for your time. I know you're a very busy man and it's been an absolute joy to have this conversation. So thank you for joining me, Jean. And um, yeah, let's keep in touch. Oh, I love it. Love it. Brilliant. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for listening. There are almost a million podcasts out there to choose from. So I really appreciate you for choosing this one and spending your valuable time with me today. If you found it helpful, I would be truly grateful if you would rate and review it as it helps others to find us. And if you haven't already, you can hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts to be sure of getting every episode sent to you. You can find all the resources we talk about and more about my guests in the show notes over at collectivewisdom.podbean.com or you can find me on Instagram at collectivewisdompod where I'd love to hear any feedback, suggestions for new guests or comments that you have. I'd love to hear from you. And if you're interested to know more about how my coaching can help you, you can find more about that on my website at catpreston.com. Thank you so much for joining me.